Hi guys and welcome this week again to another of the Anime Podcasts. Um, This week we are going to be discussing positive reasons to adopt anarchism. Um, If you've not listened to the last episode, the last episode was on why you should reject um, state-based models for thinking through political problems, and why you should reject capitalism. Um, These are kind of standalone episodes, but if you want to give the last episode a listen to, it might give you a bit of a frame of reference for some of the discussions in this week's episode. Um, If you don't have the time or you can't be bothered, then I'm sure like there will not be an absolute disaster. Um, If you have any feedback, please feel free to send us a tweet. Um, Otherwise, enjoy this week's episode. Okay, so this week uh, on the Anime Podcast, we're going to follow up from last week's episode where we looked at uh, reasons to reject capitalism. Now, just because we've given you reasons to reject something doesn't mean to say you should opt something else. Um, just because I tell you to, you know, leave the Labour Party doesn't mean to say that you should, like, join a different political party instead. Um, so this week, we're going to try and compel you and persuade you um, to become an anarchist. So we're going to look at positive reasons to be an anarchist. With me this week uh, is the lovely James. James, hello. Hello there. That was a. Uh, have you brought your own sound effects, James? Yeah, no, I've decided to bring my own um, shock jock um, signboard today. Say something shocking, James. Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, we also have with us today, presumably, um, or perhaps hopefully with no soundboard, uh, Alex. Hello, Alex. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I would have brought my soundboard full of uh, Scooby-Doo uh, noises if I knew he was bringing his. Next week, next week, my Scooby-Doo noises will be here. <laughs> right, okay. Um, as long as you're bringing enough to share with the class, that would be great. Uh, and we also um, have a rare and wild Oshin appearing in the distance. Hello, Oshin. How are you doing? Hello, hello guys. Uh, sorry, sorry for not being here for the last while, but you know, uh, I have a problem. Uh, it's obviously like we've got like concentrated charisma and Oshin, which has to be portioned out very carefully. Exactly, like, exactly. Charisma yeah. overload. Yeah. Um, in I want to interrupt and say that for the listeners, because of course this is podcast. Mm. Um, he's been spending most of the time growing a mustache, and and yeah. I will leave it up to you to imagine what that mas- mustache looks like. Are we able to like add um, graphics for episodes? Because we can, just have a picture of. I can Oshin. send you a picture of my mustache, and you can put it on the on the podcast if you want. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I for one would love that. Yeah, cool. I'm sure you would. I knew you would. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, like, I obviously um, come from anarchism from a different place to you guys. I think where the way you guys come to anarchism is a lot different to and I probably say a lot better than mine. Mine is like really theoretical and wanky. Um, but you guys seem to have like a really intuitive moral sense, which um I lack in virtue of being a psychopathic cop. Um so yeah. Um who would like to go first? Like why why should anyone be an anarchist? Like just if you want to sum up your your view. Or like go for it, Alex. Um yeah I mean why be an anarchist? Um, I suppose it's the best thing I can do, in, in, and I'll try and do this as shortly uh, as 
possible is I was when I was younger and I was getting into kind of uh, left-wing politics I tried for several years to be a member of the Socialist Party and I suppose around two years in all the problems of really what the party was which was a cult um, and the cult not even of the person everyone thought of when they thought of the party but actually of the secret general secretary who was behind the, behind the, behind the scenes and it was a fucking psycho ride. Anyway, I went through that experience and I was just like, this doesn't work for me at all. And I met this anarchist in, in Trinity College. Um, I won't name his name because I don't think we talked. I don't talk to him anymore. But um, And I just started talking to him about these ideas, you know, because anarchism to me was just, again, what most people think it is, like chaos. Uh, and when he started explaining to me what it was, it started making more and more sense to me on a, just on a really basic level. So the idea that, uh, the state, like I was like, oh, you know, how are we going to organize things? Said, well, we do organize things already. How does anything get done? We have organization to do it. Now, and it, as turns out, a lot of the stuff gets done shittily, badly. Um, the type of work, uh, uh, kind of experience with those who work in administration in what's called the civil service, public service, is horrible. Um, it's a bullying kind of top-down environment. And I just started to think, you know what? As bad as people might think it might be to try this, why don't we try it? And then since then, that was like almost a decade ago, I've been part of different anarchist movements, different groups. And while some of them have had problems of toxic people, the fact that the very structure of it was decentralized usually was the very thing that protects it. So the idea that power is something you should be wary of, the idea that power should be shared, decentralized, the idea that people's potential will be better used when there's not someone oppressing them, literally telling them what to do, that was something that was very basic that um, that I, I found really, really attractive when I was younger. And the older I've got, the more I think that the fewer people who are in power, uh, and, and it kind of whether it be a in a business sense in your life in the state, the worse the situation is, and that more people who have power uh, and share that power and balance it, the better society would be. And I'm still still believe that. And I suppose fundamentally that's what attracted me to it all those years ago. It's still what I think. It's the least bad system. It's not a perfect system. It doesn't have, it's not a utopia in my mind. It might be for other people. For me, it's not. Uh, I just think it's the best way to organize things. Wow, what a really great way to start. Thanks. Uh, James, what drew you into anarchism? Why are you an anarchist? Um, I just wanted to hang out with people that would get my Simpsons references, basically. <laughs> Uh, I was just—I was kind of just lonely, looking for friends, and uh, some kindly anarchists uh, took me off the off the street. Um, no, so basically, um, I grew up in a like a socialist um, union uh, household, and you kind of see the flaws of something when you you grow up in it. And so, um, I kind of saw some of the the drawbacks of the sort of complicated like inter-Nicene things that happen in uh you know trade trade union backgrounds where um it would be basically around our house one week George Galloway would be a welcome man and then the next week you know he wouldn't be allowed in at all so um I was sort of looking for something that would be the alternative to that uh but more of a you know an enhancement effectively 
and um, through Chomsky, I pretty much came to to anarchism when I was at university, um, because I like that it has. What I like about communism is, you know, it's got a an idea of power relations through um, the economy, and um, yeah, I like some like. So the good thing about socialism is that it's got a power relation in terms of the economy, where anarchism also does it in terms of social relations. And I think that's where, you know, if you're going to look at, say, why Russia or Cuba or anywhere else has gone tits up when they did is because they failed to equate for um, social setups. And anarchism very much, you know, has that inherent in its DNA. Like it. That was really good. Thank you. Um, our listeners should also know that not even Millhouse's mom thinks James is cool. Um, a nice wee sense of reference for uh, you anarchist Simpsons lovers out there. Uh, Oshin, why are you an anarchist? Um, uh, well, I, I think I think that's an interesting question because I often debate with myself about whether I am an anarchist or not. I mean, I would have kept come to it from... Uh, my uncle would have been um, quite influential in my in my uh, education and stuff, and he he always was like, "It's an anarchist. Anarchists are the real the real shit." But like, I'm a communist, you know, and uh, he got me into like Gramsci and stuff, and that's that's how I sort of discovered sort of uh, Chomsky and, and other other uh, anarchist writers and stuff. But um, I'm not even sure that I am. I am an anarchist, you know, to be honest. And there, there is, there are a lot of things that I admire about anarchists. Um, I mean, if you look at uh, Barcelona, for instance, um, I, I, I think that that was, was a good case in point. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know that I am an anarchist. So, yeah. Oshin um, has just been cancelled by this podcast and <laughs> by uh, all of Left Twitter. <laughs> um cannot believe you've allowed us to like infiltrate our beautiful um anarchist <laughs> podcast unbelievable uh alex well no sorry but i do anarchist because he doesn't turn up for anything on <laughs> that is true that is true yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say he's an anarchist because he says he's not an anarchist it's the most anarchist thing to do of all oh yeah mm -hmm. no no one says they're punk rock you can't by <laughs> definition um Cool. So, like last week, we spoke a wee bit about um, like why the state is part of the problem. Um, so, like I think it was Lenin. Alex, you'll probably know this better than me. Lenin said something like, um, "Politics is like a play for who controls the state. So, whoever controls the state gets to get the state." That was a really poorly grammatical sentence. Whoever controls the state controls whose interest the state acts in. And um, Lenin thought of politics in this way: uh, we think the state is part of the problem. So if the state is part of the problem, how is no state part of the solution? Go for it, Alex. Um, yeah, again, I think I repeat myself a lot in the, in, the, in the podcast by saying everything we're talking about is necessarily brief. Please do your own research. Please do a lot of reading because we're just giving you little bits of hints, little uh, kind of the top of the iceberg. Um, why is the state, um, no state the answer? Um, Basically, if you can drum it down to something very basic, that when I was when anarchism was first explained to me, I was like, "Well, how are you going to organize things?" He goes, "Well, imagine this: that imagine that uh, the basic unit of a uh, of a community 
and what you can achieve in a community versus what you can achieve or what you uh, in a broader society. Um, and I and I was like, well, you know, even by the time I was talking to this guy, communities didn't in the older sense of the world didn't exist. But he said, well, imagine just like 140 houses or 100 houses or whatever, something around that number. And you can know that amount of people and you can organize in that number of people um, and you can talk to that number of people and communicate. And he said, imagine that you together as a unit organized yourself and imagine that basically, as James like to say, it's psyops all the way up. It's, you know, it's communities all the way up. And if you can organize in that type of unit, you can actually affect real change because you can you can't affect change with people who don't know you. There's a kind of anothering uh, or kind of, I wouldn't say dehumanization, but it's just very, very hard sometimes to have sympathy with people you don't know. And it's too, it's far too easy for me to think, well, that person lives 30 miles away. I don't know, they're probably a dick, you know, <laughs> or, you know, I don't know them or I don't know the reasons, but you can know people in your immediate community and you can organize, you can do things together. And it is a liberating experience. Now, for those who don't listen to the podcast regularly, I live in a boat. There's about, uh, by 12 to 16 boats moored up next to my boat. And when we need to do something together, we do it. Now, that does not mean I like everybody here. It doesn't mean everybody likes me. You don't need to, that's not like some kumbaya shit. Anyway, but that is, so yeah, so there's a 12, 16 boats here. If we need to get stuff done, we get stuff done. Now, if I wanted, so for example, the towpath gets fucked up. To, the, we live along a the canal bank is, is like an earthen bank and it gets ripped up during the winter by, you know, the usual things. If I wanted to get that fixed, I'd have to go to the council. I'd have to go through various aldermen's and councils. They'd probably tell me that's not their job to do anything to that. They'd send me to another person who would send me to another person who would send me to another person. And then that person would tell me to fuck off. So what we do is we just deal with ourselves. We literally, one of us was, knew a, a tree surgeon. We laid down um, a mulch all along the, the muddy the towpath. We then got some rocks, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? We got it done literally within a day. Uh, and I could have spent six months or a year uh, trying to get to that person who would tell me to fuck off in the end. So that's kind of how it was explained to me that communities literally are how you achieve kind of the things you need to achieve. You can't achieve them through upper levels. Or if you do achieve those things, it's through bribery, it's through corruption, it's through all the things that will make you no better than a politician, which I had no, I had no desire ever to be. So yeah, I suppose... In my point of view, is literally that's the mo the community of small groups of people are the are the only units that you can achieve uh, anything in. The state you can't, and we have you know without going into what other people are going to talk about about how the state is oppressive. The other two guys or three, including Will, will talk about that. But for me, that's literally why and the only unit you can get things done in. That's why I I believe in organizing from that level. Cool. So like that was like, I suppose, like a really good example of um, what we'd call direct action. Um, we might like move on to that a wee bit later on um, as well. So like that was a nice example to like preface that. Uh, Oshin, you've got your hand up. Yeah, so um, I think I think what Alex has said is a really, that's, that's kind of the cutting edge for me. Like, you know, it would be because in Ireland, for instance, we have a lot of corruption in our political system and everything. And it's it's very... Very slow to get anything done. So if if you have a community of people who have different skills and stuff, you can actually you use use each other's skills, you know, and just 
cut, cut out a lot of the a lot of the time wasting that's involved with with sort of government and stuff. Yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah. Cool, uh, James. Yeah, I think the thing to remember though is um, no state could also. It's a complicated, depending on which anarchist you talk to, and uh, you know what reading they've done or what they believe. It's such a broad church in some terms, where you say like, you know anarcho-federalists would sort of have some sort of you know larger government that works on on a higher higher plane in terms of like something like climate change is not going to change from just small communities doing the uh little things it would need to be you know it's going to be a mass amount of um people mobilizing at this point you know so i don't think anarchism does say that you're not going to have some form of state. Uh, it's more the fact that it's accountable to the people uh, in various ways. You know, and again, it's like you know, I don't want to get too academic about it, but you know, some people say, "Oh, well, you know, the the politicians will be done through lots, or they'll actually be accountable, so you can recall them at any point, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And it's trying to make sure that um, that you you are able to control things rather than the way that they are now, which is, um, you know, once you vote someone in, that's them. That they're done for for four years, five years, um, because the other the other end of it, who wants to be working in like the the function of society for their whole life? Some people do, but other people, you know, like they just want to fucking sit home and watch TV or whatever. And like they'll have a, you know, you would say like they might have a duty to do a certain amount, but um, it's not likely with the amount of people that there is on the face of the earth now that you're going to have like everyone participating in every level of society. So I think it's, you know, in some ways, you need to decide which. Um, what do you mean by the state? You know. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks. Um, I think uh, that kind of like leads on nicely to our next bit, which I suppose like the thing that you highlighted was actually there are various forms of anarchism. Um, so, like, I don't know about you guys, but I think I'd probably call myself an anarcho syndicalist or something like that. I don't. I don't really know enough about the nuances to properly navigate. Um, what those terms mean, um, but like from what I've read, I suppose like if I were going to call myself something, I'd probably call myself something like that. Um, something that anarchists generally agree with, except anarcho-capitalists who aren't anarchists, most anarchists do agree with um, something called decentralization, which is where power is removed from some sort of like central unit, like a state or like a c company or whatever, and is um, moved outwards. Um, Alex mentioned this concept earlier on. Um, would one of you like to explain what decentralization is? I think Alex showed your hand up first. Can I, can I just make a point that decentralization okay. for Irish people is not what the what the government wants to do and, and to make sort of government departments down in Cork and go and stuff. That's not, not what decentralization is. So this may have like a different political context in Ireland where like they're talking about um, 
what sounds a bit like devolution, like in like yeah. what happened in Scotland. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Alex, you're going to explain decentralization proper. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not um, the Era Nua Forum ideas from back in the 70s and 80s, which there should be a parliament in every uh, uh, kind of province, uh, one in Ulster, obviously, there are already being one, uh, one in Dublin, etc., etc. Now, decentralization, um, again, not to go back to what James said earlier, but I, I it's... Uh, when I was mentioning communities I, as the kind of the building block of any society or an anarchist society, that wasn't to say that there shouldn't be anything above it. The whole point of it is that it's a system going up as far as you really want. And that includes on an international level as well. I mean, I wouldn't want there to be just an Ireland. I want I would want there to be a, a Europe and beyond that in which there's communication. Uh, and I don't think you can do that through politicians for many, many reasons. Uh, we don't need to go into, um, but I, I, I think a lot of these are these are have been floating around for a very very long time. Uh, decentralization is not new. Even the British Empire had an idea of imperial federation back in the late nineteenth century that they would have um, a, a home rule for Ireland, home rule for Scotland, home rule for Wales, England, and all across the empire. So it's nothing new, and it's nothing particularly radical. Uh, even that bastion of mainstream political kind of uh, comedy uh, Yes Minister had an episode where they were talking about how good an idea it was and that's why Humphrey, who was a civil servant, didn't want to do it because it would actually work and it would be popular, you know? So I don't think these things are unusual. They've been talked about a million times. The difference is we, you know, anarchists are coming after this from a perspective of really the state uh, from the lessons of the 20th century, the seizure of power by vanguardists, Marxist-Leninists, uh, and what they did when they got that power kind of precludes, at least in my mind, in most anarchist minds, the that the state can really survive or should survive a revolution. Uh, because if it does, it'll be used by less than uh, mor you know, moral people, less than excellent people to do as they wish. Now, again, that's that's a complicated thing. We had, we had an episode a couple of weeks ago where we said it is a complicated thing, and it does depend on the circumstances how anarchists would respond to that good example would be in Spain in the 1930s, having to, you know, at a necessity uh, and maybe comradeliness, uh, kind of ally with Marxist-Leninists, ally with all sorts of groups. I like this with Stalin, uh, you know, which was to, to some degree the only place you could get weapons, the only place you could get arms, which, you know, I'm kind of tangenting off here. What I'm trying to say is that decentralization is something that's been around a long time, it's not necessarily something that is written in stone with, with anarchists. It's, it depends on the circumstances. But ultimately, it's about removing the state, removing power from central individuals, from a party, from a state, from a church, any of these ideas, and giving power and empowering people to run their own affairs and their own lives in the hope, maybe rather, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, uh, unwisely, that people would be better able to run their own lives than someone else. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that was like really nicely put. I think one of the, like, <clears throat> one of my very kind of minimal contributions to this episode is going to be um, when I think about decentralization, I think about like the open source movement in software. So um, Twitter obviously has a monopoly or like a near monopoly on um, that kind of form of social media. And Twitter gathers its data from its users, um, which is essentially all you are. You're just a unit of data to Twitter. 
and it can like harvest that data centrally and then it will like sell a product to various people based upon the data it's harvested. Um, there are like various open source and federated um, versions of Twitter, one of which is called Mastodon, which is like an open source version um, that does not like harvest or centralize your data. And as a direct consequence of this, it's able to like deal with like neo-Nazis far more effectively than Twitter's like slap on the wrist policy. Um, there's another version of this called Diaspora, um, which is like, again, a decentralized version of Facebook. Um, and like, you know, you've got like office style softwares and things. A lot of people use them actually, if they're kind of like broke because Microsoft Office is bloody expensive. Um, like LibreOffice is like one that's free and open source and all that kind of, all the good stuff. Um, so like, I, I suppose like um, for me, a nerd, um, the thing that I see most comfortably with um, decentralized uh, networks is, um, is in the software industry. And something I like about software is you can see how it works um, really quickly. So when people say, well, how would decentralization works? We already have a model for decentralization and we already have a model, like a working model um, for decentralized networks. And we can see how more effective and how more efficient they are than um, centralized uh, mechanisms for generating software. Uh, James. Yeah, that actually kind of leads me on to what I was wanting to talk about when it comes to decentralization, because there's always this strange idea and it's, you know, sometimes it's done on purpose and other times it is just misguided where people have this idea where an anarchist society, when you were organizing, it would just be complete chaos and no one would listen to each other, blah, blah, blah. And one of the best ways that I ever heard about it was like, right, imagine that, you know, you need to make a lens for like a lighthouse or something like that. And there'll probably be someone that really knows a lot about um making lenses and so you would listen to them because they know what they're talking about and so yeah there is some sort of hierarchy there because they've spent 20 30 years learning how to make a lens but then they wouldn't own the copyright to that specific lens and they wouldn't have you know the ability to only produce that lens so um you know if you needed a lighthouse of your own you would have to get it from them they would just openly give you the technology and the inclination and the ability to, you know, use these lenses. And if someone else came along and it was like, actually, I figured out a way to make this better, or, you know, here is uh, a way to enhance it, then, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be shot down or like a trade right infringement on them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they would be listened to. And if it was, it would be, you know, it's like the real marketplace of ideas because then the, the proof would be in your pudding and things like that. So the way that capitalism like monopolizes everything into these really weird, like ineffective um, systems is, is one of the big problems that has with say like, you know, copyright. So um, anarchism, I think is a big way around that and um that's what we sort of mean in terms of like you know decentralization is that you know you want to move the power about and some people are just going to like um mop it up in some ways because 
fuck it, they're the best lens maker in all the world. So they're going to have some sort of like, um, you know, a bigger voice or, you know, in this world. But there's ways within society that are inbuilt in an anarchist society to, you know, stop them from getting an, an inordinate of power. It just means without leaders. It doesn't mean without organization. Yeah, those are really nice points. Um, I think, uh, like, that's kind of like a really nice example about like having like an expert determine or like an expert voice, like having weight within a community. Um, like, it gives you a reason to listen to them. Um, but still, like, you've got like the power to say, actually, um, we think this dude's modification would work and we should kind of talk about that. That's really nice. Uh, Oshin. So, yeah, I, I have I have a few points on that. So it is I think I think anarchism is is a much more humanitarian way of of dealing with with problems that face humanity than you know capitalist capitalism because capitalism implies that if you if you create something that has use for humanity you're going to get rich off it and no one no one else will be able to make make it better or make changes to it as well. So um, I think right wingers won't understand that part of it. You know, is that what, why? Why? I don't see a problem with that. Like, if you want, if you want to become rich off, it's like no, because the 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 whole goal of of anarchism is to make the community a, a better place, rather than rather than one person richer and more sort of more equal than others. You know, um. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um. I think it's it's interesting, and um, like so, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville. Um, I, I was reading I was reading his book uh, last night actually, and he uh, he he basically said that the French Revolution was was an was a, an exercise in failed decentralization. So I think if people think about it that way, you know that that they wanted to sort of overthrow overthrow the, the monarchy and everything and uh, make it more democratic. But he said it, it actually failed because it ended up in the hands of the market and stuff. So I think that's that's a good point as well. Yeah, it's really great. I think um, I really enjoyed your point, especially about um, capitalism is in the like it serves the interest of what will generate profit. It's not really interested in like if it's a benefit to anyone or not. It's just yeah. interested yeah. in does this make a profit. Where in mm. anarchism, the thing is, is this a social good or not? Uh, Alex. Uh, it's just a very, very brief point, which is you mentioned earlier that you, you would, if you had a gun to head, be to call yourself something, you'd call yourself an anarcho syndicalist. Um, and I think there's a, it's, it's either Steiner or Rudolf Rocker, I can't remember who said that. He said, uh, I'm not an anarchist because I believe it's the final step. I I'm an anarchist because I don't believe there is a final step. Um, and I think, like, again, not, again, not to go on a thing, but I, I wouldn't believe in a kind of, um, what used to be called the Whig view of history, which is we're on this upward trajectory towards utopia. Uh, and some Marxists fall for that as well by thinking, oh, capitalism will collapse of its own contradictions and then we'll just swoop in. I think you should definitely not fall for that. So I would find it, to get to the point, I find it, I would find it difficult to actually to know what hyphenated anarchist thing to assign to myself because I, I don't think there's any one method that's guaranteed to get you there. I think you have to just roll with the the situation um, as the CNT did in Spain, as the Marxists in Ukraine did back in the Russian Revolution. I think you just got to go with it and see what happens and try and hold on to your principles without, you know, letting them kind of impale yourself on them. So I think like 
anyone listening to this, um, it you know, I would say, see anarchism as a as a tool, as a set of principles. Um, it, it's by its very nature, it doesn't have a bible, so it's, there there is there is you know, and it is decentralized. It is suspicious of power. So there's not going to be any one person. If they said this is definitely what it is, and it's the only thing we can do, they're definitely not anarchists. Um, because they're by that very that very rigidity is 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 kind of anathema to it. So yeah, I don't know what I would call myself. I just use the term anarchist. I sometimes use the term anarcho uh, communist, but that's mostly because I really really dislike those hippie anarchists who are just such a fucking pain in the ass. Um, and I'd like to, and I like using the word communist because I I think it gives more of an edge, you know. But that's me. Yeah, it's pretty edgy. Um, yeah, like I, I totally agree with all that. Um, obviously, the Whig view of history is just correct, and um, we do live in a teleological society. And if you want evidence for this, then all you need to do is look at any of Boris Johnson's speech, which is where he talks about leveling up the UK. He keeps on using this phrase, like the UK is a World of Warcraft character, and he's like leveling up the UK. It's really embarrassing, um, but and yet he's not embarrassed. Uh, James. Yeah, I mean, I would call myself an anarcho-communist as well, um, mostly because of the way that Kropotkin sort of laid down his, um, and that's what he called himself as well. So it's something that's got like a coherent ideological framework uh, that you can you can use. And Tell us about deliver. the ideological framework, James. What's that? Tell us about the ideological framework. Um, well, it's about the the understanding of like it's about understanding power and where it lies and i think that's always the um the main strength of anarchism where it is it is effectively like the study of power and who uses it and how you can use it um and so um hang on you'll just have to wait a second no we won't let's just start making fun yeah, of jay <laughs> <laughs> James is now the new Oshin. He's yelling at someone out in the street, I think. He's just like, this is very James. Uh, <laughs> he used to die on the street we lived on. He used to march. He was an ex-squaddy. I think he was like gone in the head. And he used to march down the street at like three in the morning. Oh, it's fucking weird. And then, like, and then all throughout the day, he'd stare at people from his window and like make <laughs> Amazing. So but yeah, uh, it was hi, James. the weirdest one in the street, though. Like Alex, no, there were many weirder. <laughs> yeah, our Alex's best friend on the street was was a distinctly even stranger man than that. Aren't you Alex's best friend on the street? No, um, uh, no, no. The um, there was a guy who believed he was the rein he was a reincarnated Nazi. Um. I literally did believe he was reincarnated in that Nazi. Um, who I described him. He used to be in a hair metal band. He was crippled in a bar fight. I mean, you could just go on and on about you, him. You tell me about him. Oh no, yeah. James met him. He uh, he, he met him, yeah. I met him. He was Sorry? Was he Scottish? Uh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you've told me about him before. James, you were telling us about anarcho-communism and how it's all about power, and you're making an amazing point, and then we all derailed you with our, um, with your tales of weird neighbours, of uh, which you were not the weirdest. <laughs> I was one of the weird ones, though. Um, no, I pretty much got to the end of my point, though. It is about the study of power, 
and um, like I don't want to get into like the diminutiae of uh, anarcho-capitalism, but I just like the way that it's set. The table, the stall is set out for like this is how you build a society. Um, here's your your framework for it, and that's how you know, and how we can get to that point as well, which is through you know demonstrations, direct action, um, you know, how do you organize your group? A lot of that is already um, inherent within anarcho-communist, uh, you know, ideology because it is so old. It's, a, what's about 120 years old at the moment? That's almost as old as Queen Elizabeth II, who apparently will live forever. Um, cool, so I suppose that takes us on to like our nice last positive point. Um, which is like a nice one. Um, and Alex made allusions to it earlier on, um, which is, of course, direct action. So direct action is where you do not wait for a state or a third party of some sort or someone you've offset your political decision-making to um, to do things within your community. It's when you do things for yourself or you do things as like a small collective of people um, all working towards like a common aim. So Alex's example earlier on of... Um, I want to say reinforcing the banks of his canal um, was like a really good one. Uh, James. So here's an example of why direct action works. Uh, when you look at the, the Black Panthers and what they were doing in the, the early days of their organization, which was effectively um, they were armed and because of carry laws uh, in Oakland and places like that where they were originally set up, they were watching the police do stopping searches or stopping cars and things like that. They were basically just hanging around with guns. Um, and obviously it was quite nerving and the idea was to try and make the police more accountable, um, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the point where the FBI and uh, the CIA started to really get upset with the, the Black Panthers is when they started giving free school meals out and you know helping the community and that was when they went whoa 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 you're way out of bounds here standing around with guns that's one thing <laughs> giving kids meals that's fucked guys what's wrong with you um and because that's we have to remember this is america we're talking about so that doesn't yeah. make sense you know? the famous irish black panthers i'm talking about here uh yeah no, so um that gives you an idea of like how powerful direct action can be because you can undermine the state and um, improve people's lives while you're doing it with collective action, you know? I suppose that's a real challenge to the state if you're kind of showing them um, that they're not needed. Like in this community, we don't need you. Um, like we can feed our own and we can help the people you've marginalized and oppressed for God knows how many centuries. Um, not only do we recognize you as an oppressive force, but we also recognize you as an unnecessary oppressive force. And I think that's amazing. That's a really great example. Um, Alex. It's actually Ushing. He's had his hands up first. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, lovely, um, fair spirit of you. Ushing, <laughs> by the way, I apologize for marginalizing you and oppressing you. <laughs> So um, yeah, I think I think that the Black Panthers is a really good um, a really good example of sort of what can actually be done by uh, like if you just 
act act yourselves. You know that you have the you have the power and capability of acting yourself, and the state actually proves itself when it when it finally clamps down on these kind of things. Uh, it, it it proves it proves its its own its own faults and, and weaknesses. But um, yeah, I, I think that, that direct action is one of the most exciting parts of, of anarchism because it actually shows people that, that they can make a difference, you know, in their communities and stuff. And uh, like I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a charity and everything. And just last week, um, we were talking to a guy who's a former alcoholic and he was saying, listen, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint this guy's apartment. If, if you can come and give a, give a hand and everything, um, which we did, uh, that'd be great and everything. So, you know, that's that's another another side of it as well. Because he would have been waiting about five years for, for the council to do it. Is the um is the charity you're in the Bill Gates Foundation, Oshin? It is not. It is not. Uh, it's suspicious. <laughs> uh, Alex, go for it. You were gonna say something, sorry. No, I was just gonna make the um obvious statement that the only change positive change is ever and actually, some some negative changes too, that have ever been made in in Western countries and probably in other countries as well. Certainly in Ireland, there has been through direct action. You can go back to Daniel O'Connell in the eighteen twenties, organizing hundreds of thousands of Catholics who couldn't vote and weren't allowed to sit in Parliament because they were Catholic. Finally, the British government, where you know, again, there was no members of the Irish, you know, Irish MPs going over who were Catholic or asking for it. They were actually doing the opposite. But they were forced just through the sheer size of, of organization that had been created to back down and to get to get grant that. And you can see that tradition going all the way up until um, the kind of um, abortion referendum of two years ago. You achieve things outside of parliament. That is a, a form of broad, direct action. And it's actually the only way change has ever, ever been brought about. I can't think of a way where power has ever given up power, given up rights, Allowed, uh, you know, I wouldn't say privileges. Allowed people to uh, kind of act the way they would would otherwise if the parliament and the state wasn't there, uh, unless people literally were so terrifying to them that they had to back down. I mean, I really can't think of any. There might be one example, but it'd be very rare. Uh, mostly, they give in, but they give what any other society, if it was actually democratic, would grant. Like, I mean, if, if communities organize themselves right now. And if we did have a type of anarchist society in the sense that it was completely decentralized communities were functioning as communities and we could do these things, many, many things would just be self-explanatory. Drugs. Does anyone really think there's going to be anyone in, in, in a society like that who would go, yeah, yeah, we need to keep uh, fucking weed illegal. Fuck off. I mean, that, that would be one of the first things. Yeah, let's not waste any more time or money on that. Uh, healthcare. Yeah, of course we need to do this. That's just obvious. Like, it, I, I really do think it's a hindrance. I, I really do think that um, a lot of the problems that are created are created by these structures. And I don't just say that because it's the right thing to say if you're an anarchist or I'm following the, the, the company line. I really do think that from what I've seen, certainly in Ireland, it's, you know, things are fucked up for because of the structure of the state, because of the structure of the civil service, because of the structure of, of, of how that toxicity has got into the groundwater and how people behave because of how they pick it up through school and how they pick it up through the workplace. I think that is there because people feel they have no power over their lives. I think I've seen a lot more relaxed people since the pandemic because they've not been around that type of toxicity. At least they've been at home, away from it, you know? So anyway, I'm kind of ranting. But uh, <laughs> which is, but that's what I do. 
No, I like it. It was good. Um, and I think like those are sensible points as well. Like who really gives a shit about cannabis, right? Like it's it's a weird kind of thing to kind of give a shit about. Uh, James, you're next then, Oshin. Um, yeah, no, but I, I think Alex is right in saying that there's been nothing that's been achieved without direct action or mass mobilization. Um, and um, that's just been proven time and time again. And I don't know exactly how and when that seemed to have just been an idea that just left um, social consciousness and the left specifically, where the idea of like, basically in the 60s or 70s, we just went, all right, you know what we should do? We should just march around and that'll somehow solve all of our problems. And if we can get the right person into this like democracy and you know huge air quotes then somehow that'll that'll solve problems um and that's the the singular reason of why we've been losing for the past 40 years and now when it's coming to the you know the end the end game of civilization and people are like oh yeah we should actually start going back in the streets and start doing to this stuff people are like oh why do I have to? Can't I just police people's podcast choices on Twitter instead? Can't that save everyone's lives? So um, you have to get up off of your arse and do stuff. And, you know, it's not always easy. Um, and we all fuck up and sometimes, you know, we don't get to the stuff or some. it's difficult and it's hard, but that's where, you know, the work is. Um, and if you're just... If you're listening to this and all you're doing is sitting around and listening to podcasts and getting annoyed at, um, you know, what Owen Jones has said this week or what someone on um, Infowars has said, that's all just culture war bullshit. Like, you you need to be out there in the street because that's where politics happens, whether you like it or not. Um, exception to, you know, if you're actually unable to actually leave. Um the house for whatever reason um and you can do things in your own way but you know there's there's basically there's two types of people on the left there's those that are going to fight cops and those that don't matter here here um james obviously committing various microaggressions there against uh, <laughs> people who police podcasts <laughs> uh <laughs> Oshin, go for it yeah, so so I think that this, this needs to come down to a more fundamental idea of you know clientelism, and you know you have you it's it's a very sort of meandering way of of basically elect someone who has made a promise to you to solve the problem when actually you could just find someone who can solve the problem among your community and solve it yourselves. I mean that's that's the, the basic. Basic, uh, basic idea of, of direct direct action, um, and it, it, it is a responsibility on us, you know, on all of us. And I think that 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 is is very empowering, but also a very scary sort of idea. You know that okay, this life, you know, that you've been given it is what you you make of it. You know, and and you can't really blame someone else if it isn't if it isn't up to your standards or whatever. So, yeah. Cool. Um, Alex, I'm going to give you the last word, then I'll wrap up. Not going um, to wrap up, because that'd be embarrassing. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to make this a, a, a very um, big part of it, because this is meant to be a positive 
reasons, so positive reasons to be an anarchist, positive things. Um, but I do think it, it would be ridiculous if we didn't, didn't bring it up, uh, which is that um, one of the big canards, one of the big whatever things, the albatrosses that hang around anarchists are, and you can find it very easily on any social media platform, is communists saying, you know, talking shit about, about anarchists. Um, and some of that's just a post-ironic, which we talked about in a couple of episodes ago. So we don't need to go down that road. But it would be ridiculous if we didn't say that at this point, we don't really... A good reason to be anarchist, I think, at least for the ones I know right now, is that we, we're we not in that type of sectarian... We're not as much in that sectarian bubble, or trying to get out of it anyway. I do think that we don't really have the time for that, to be a sectarian. It helps civilization. Uh, if we trust science, uh, and this is not going to be around for very much longer if we keep destroying the world, so we don't really have the time to be sectarian. There are some, probably more than, the, more than some, actually quite a few, who will go down with the ship, and they go, no, no, I'm going to keep calling, um, calling out people, <laughs> uh, as uh, calling out anarchists, or indeed vice versa, us calling out communists. But I do think maybe one of the positive things are about being an anarchist now is we have all this history to look back on and all the mistakes we've made. And, all the, and we have made lots of mistakes. Anarchism is not perfect. So my last word would be that maybe this is the best time to, to be leftist because we have all these technologies and all these ideas laid out before us. And if we use them in an adult, responsible manner, which humans are well known for, we should be fine, shouldn't we? There's positivity. Yay. Well done, lovely and positive. Um, so, your ideas are intriguing to me. I would wish to subscribe to your newsletter. Beautiful. So, um, our, I suppose, like the way of kind of summarizing what people have said is like you should, if we're going to like encapsulate the episode as to like why you should be an anarchist, you should be an anarchist because the state is shit, and um, you should be an anarchist because capitalism is shit. But also you should be an anarchist because um, our solutions are efficient, they're effective, um, they're tried and tested. And in the tech industry, they're already put into place in like a really, really big way um, and in a really effective way as well. So you should be an anarchist because it's great, it humanizes you, it humanizes your community and it allows you to participate in endeavors you yourself consider good. Um, so it gives you like control and authorship over your own life um, we are going to finish up by going to James, who I'm sure has had time to think of a really fantastic Simpsons reference for us to end on. Go for it, James. Uh, no, I already did the Simpsons reference. I didn't get that one. What series is that from? I'm currently re-watching all the Simpsons, and I'm uh, halfway through series four. No, I can't even remember which episode it's from. It's just uh, Bart's talking, and Homer's like, hmm, your ideas are intriguing to me. I would wish to subscribe to your newsletter. Damn it. Uh, I'm so sorry. I mean, like, who who remembers what reference comes from what episodes, though? Because, you know, season season four to 12 is, you know, your highlight. And there's Definitely. 22 episodes per season there. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, one of the good reasons to become an anarchist as well is you get to dress really cool. Uh, and you get a lot of the best bands as well. So. Is, give us an example of a band, James. Uh, World Infernal Friendship Society. Is, I, I'm not sure who that is. Sorry. Uh, back, Black Flag. 
Oh man, this is just going to be a podcast of me listing the bands I don't know. Yeah. Can I interrupt and say all the the best writers and actors when asked mm. they're anarchists? Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. There you go. Just to name one. <laughs> Compelled. Excellent stuff. Well, thanks again for tuning into this week's uh, anime podcast. We have been uh, Oshin, uh, we have been Alex, we have been James, and we have been me, Will. Um, our next episode will be out next week. Tune in then as well. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your enemies, share it with Boris Johnson. Record it onto a CD and post it to 10 Downing Street with some anthrax. That'd be nice. I don't know if that's inciting violence, actually. Is that inciting violence? Uh, I said that ironically, so I'm doing big <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's, okay. it's okay, Will. He'll just hide in his fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, have a great week, guys. Bye. See ya. Okay, guys. So, as I just said, that's um, another episode of the Anime Podcast for this week. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to tweet us at uh, anime underscore Z. Uh, Oshin, I think, is not on Twitter, but Alex is on Twitter as Anarcho Surreal. Uh, James is on Twitter. Uh, he's very, very good on Twitter, far better than me. As at EcoClown, and I'm on Twitter as Kushwave4201. Give us all a follow, like, and retweet our podcasts, and we will look forward to seeing you next week.